Today is Friday, April 14th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Leaked classified documents. And there's been arrests in the case. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast. We're bringing you news from a Christian perspective. You can subscribe if you haven't. Give us a rating. Don't forget to share it with a friend. Send us your thoughts. Email quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Joining me now, Billy Hallowell, Trey Gons Phillips. What's going on, guys? It's Friday. We've made it. We are here. <laughs> you sound Friday I know, is here. Yeah, and I know you're thrilled, Billy, because you have <laughs> you're getting you're essentially getting tor- tortured right now with with uh, allergies or something. So apologies that I've dragged you into this uh, against your will. (laughs) My voice might sound a little off, more off than normal, but I'm here and I'm excited. So should we be apologizing to you or to the people listening? (laughs) I don't don't know. know, I'm I'm blessing you all with my presence. So yeah, I think both is the answer to that, Trey. Anyway, we have a lot to get to before Billy um, really needs to go to the hospital or whatever is uh, (laughs) happening over there. But uh, all kidding aside, I hope you feel better soon, Billy. But we, we do have a lot coming up, and there is a, a church tray that got attacked on Easter, and their response is quite bold. Yeah, I think it's the 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 decision not to back down at yeah. all that's really getting attention, so I'm excited to get into the details uh, there. Yep, we'll have the details on that story. Also, talking about President Biden's Ireland trip and all that's going on there, we'll have that on the main thing with John Stolness, but first... We're going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. FBI agents have made an arrest in their investigation into those leaked classified documents. A 20-something-year-old Massachusetts Air National Guardsman is at the center of these high-classified documents that made their way online. The documents include movements of high-ranking political leaders, Updates on military forces, detailed charts of battlefield conditions in Ukraine, and info on that Chinese spy balloon, uh, just to name a few. And the Washington commanders are closing in on a sale. This comes just a couple of seasons after current embattled owner Dan Snyder caved on a longtime promise never to change the team from the name Redskins. And now a group of buyers, including former NBA star Magic Johnson, are said to be close to a deal. And the battle over the abortion pill is ramping up. The Justice Department said yesterday that it plans to ask the Supreme Court to get into the legal battle involving the abortion pill. This is just hours after an appeals court issued a decision that preserved access to the drug, but blocked a number of moves by the FDA. Those are just some of today's top headlines, and you can check out those stories and more over at CBN. Dot com. Guys, this uh, the abortion makes its way back into the headlines yet again. And Biden's DOJ is really, again, they call it effective repro- reproductive care. They want to make sure they're preserving. But uh, this fight for abortion is seems to keep taking top stage once again. Yeah, you know, what's really crazy about this story and, you know, we, we sat down with Abby Johnson recently to talk about this and what she broke down was the fact that this case, it's incredibly complicated because the initial ruling, the abortion drug is two separate drugs that are taken. The initial ruling struck down one of the drugs, but not the other, meaning that doctors would then potentially be giving out just one of those drugs, which 
I mean, it's so complicated, but that actually could lead to a lot of health complications. And so this is like a multifaceted issue, um, the abortion pill. I didn't realize how complicated it was. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes because some pro-lifers are also actually hesitant with that first ruling because it didn't rule out both drugs. But yeah. the mail-in part of this is really interesting, right? Because that's been one of the big battles, whether or not you know, women should be able to get this pill through the mail, which for now it looks like that part of it is curtailed. Yeah, you know, I think this is where the entire abortion battle is going to shift um, from clinics that are being closed down in states that are starting to to completely outlaw abortion since the Roe decision. Uh, it's going to shift out of out of that space, out of the brick and mortar type space. I think to this mail in and even going to a CVS or a Walgreens or whatever it is, and purchasing these pills or having them mailed to you. So uh, yeah, it's the, the the ultimate decision the Supreme Court makes. One is important just because it's it's obviously important because this is an issue of life or death, but also uh, it's important because this is going to shape what the pro-life battle looks like from this point forward. Mm. Yeah, indeed. And uh, we'll definitely keep you updated on that over at uh, CBNnews.com and faithwire.com as well. And one, and one other thing I wanted to throw in here, we have um, Joe Biden's uh, trip that John Stoltness is going to be talking about in a few minutes here, guys. And did you see the detail? that sensitive details of Biden's Ireland security operation, just they like dropped them on the street and some guy that they identified only as Bill discovered this, <laughs> this document just laying on a Belfast street. And it had yeah, like, Bill. it had, it was right where Biden was staying. It had the names and phone numbers of police officers involved in the operation as well as the streets where they were deployed and all this other information on street closures, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of a key detail, speaking of like leaking classified documents. So we're leaking them on the one hand and then now just other also just dropping them in the middle street on the other hand. So good job by Bill, by the way, to just send it in, I guess. But well, uh, I do my best, that's guys. concerning. I do, I do my best. <laughs> yeah, Billy. Billy's over there. Were you in? Where were you on the night of? No, I'm just kidding. But yeah. Uh, that's concerning, though. Yeah, we should be leading the charge, like in this in this country, in the world, in every area. And I feel like in every area, we've become like a punchline. It's really, ugh, it's unfortunate yeah. to watch. It really is. Yeah, it's uh, it, to me, it's just a, a wild uh, situation to to be an American, and you're always kind of. It's a weird feeling to always be holding your breath when you're when your president is going overseas or is about to host a big press conference because you have no idea what it's going to look like. But I suppose <laughs> we've been doing that kind of for the last two presidents now, but just for very for wildly different reasons. Yeah. Right. We're always kind of like <gasps> bracing for impact. What's <laughs> going to be said or what's going to be done? Um, so it, it's just a. Uh, it's such a bizarre time and you have to laugh i think sometimes to keep to keep from crying <laughs> yeah yeah and i'm not even going to get into what biden said when he was asked what the key to success was uh, i don't know if you guys saw that clip but he said to some kid that was asking him how to be successful in life and he said don't get covid it's a very bizarre answer so i'm not sure what was going on there i, but. Said, I mean that's a bar that's a, that's a low bar for success in yeah life. <laughs> yeah that is that is don't get covid pretty much everyone's had it at this point so i guess none of us will be successful so anyway i digress let's move into our next story here and trey this church in virginia that we were talking about at the top they were attacked on easter sunday before we get into the response here what what actually happened on this attack 
Yeah, so thankfully the attack actually didn't happen until after both Easter services had concluded. At least that's that's what police are are thinking as they're kind of piecing together details. Uh, but it's a church in Washington County, that's a rural area in Virginia, uh, that was attacked by vandals uh, who broke into the church. Uh, they actually broke in several windows in the building uh, and then tagged with graffiti several of the walls, both inside and outside. Uh, with messages like, I'm not sorry, believe in Satan, uh, 666, obviously a, a reference to a, a satanic number, uh, as well as some vulgar images uh, and even spray painting pentagrams uh, on the building. Interestingly, though, every building in the, the facility uh, was damaged in some way, whether it's broken windows or, or graffiti, except for the sanctuary. The sanctuary was pretty much untouched. Um, so I don't know exactly why that's the case, if the, the vandals just decided not to go there uh, or if there was something uh, keeping them from getting in there. Uh, but like I said, the people had cleared out and there was nobody there. But the pastor said, how could anybody be so cold as to attack a congregation's building, particularly on Easter Sunday? It's a small church. Uh, it's not a lot of people in that area anyway. It came out of the blue. Uh, so certainly kind of left them shocked, but also just confused yeah that's uh really really troubling what how so how are they responding now that this actually happened yeah, so the pastor I just referenced a second ago, Clarence Blevins, he's been a 30-year member of the church before he became pastor of Conorock uh, Baptist Church, uh, like I said, in Washington County. Uh, he is actually really hopeful and really positive uh, in interviews with local reporters there in rural Virginia. Uh, he said it's not going to stop us referring to the attack that his church faced. He said we're going to keep lifting Jesus up and serving him the best we can by continuing to serve their community. Uh, which is encouraging, right? And um, the detectives uh, on the case are obviously continuing their investigation. They haven't arrested anybody. They don't really have any lead suspects at this point. Uh, but one interesting thing we should note is uh, that William Smarr, he's the detective leading the criminal investigation. Uh, he said he has actually not ruled out hate crime charges uh, once he can get a hold of these suspects, uh, these you know supposed vandals. And if he can figure out uh, a motive, uh, then he might be able to attach felony charges and hate crime charges. He said, I would need to figure out who it is, figure out what their motivations were, and consult with the Commonwealth's attorney first. But at such an early stage in the investigation, I'm not willing to take anything off the table necessarily. Hmm. And we see these attacks like this. I mean, we saw them with the pro-life centers. I mean, are these attacks being, are they more common or, you know, you, you know they're not going to get 24-7 sort of breathless reporting from the mainstream media. So are these more common or what's the deal? Yeah, they actually are ramping up quite a bit. The Freedom From, uh, or not the Freedom From, uh, I was about to say the Freedom From Religion <laughs> Yeah, no, they wouldn't this, report this, on that. <laughs> in Billy's neck of the woods, they wouldn't care about that. Uh, so the Family Research Council, a very different organization, uh, they actually just compiled, uh, compiled a bunch of data in their Hostility Against Churches report, and they found that it, this year alone, there have been 69 acts of vandalism committed against churches around the country, which is a significant escalation. There were 43 uh, documents 
documented incidents in January, 14 in February, and 12 in March. And for context, uh, the FRC recorded only 15 attacks on churches in the first three months of 2018, 12 during that same time period in 2019, 14 in the same time period in 2021, 22 in uh, 2022. And then there were none documented in the first four months of 2020 because it was the COVID pandemic. Um, But either way, to have gone from in the teens in the first three or four months of the year to now 43 in just the first month of this year is certainly a, a, a huge uptick. Yeah, that's uh, really, again, another troubling thing as well. But it is great to see them sort of responding with this boldness that they won't be deterred. I mean, we really need to have that kind of response in the face of this sort of stuff. I mean, this is, this is what we're promised as Christians in the world, which is that we're going to be reviled by so many that we're going to suffer persecution of some kind. And so this is sort of the rubber meets the road moment when persecution hits you. How do you how do you ultimately respond? So good to see them being bold. It is really unfortunate to watch this increase, right? And you have to wonder again, you know, abortion, Roe being overturned, all these different things, the the trans debate, a lot of this seems to be fueling real anger. And I just don't know how you get to a place where this is something that you do, where you go out and you deface a church, yeah. right? Um, but but I think we're going to see more of this as time goes on. I, I Unfortunately, I have a feeling this is the start of probably some really unfortunate trends. Hmm. Yeah, it's especially concerning when you're seeing it in... And I mean, it's 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 a concern anywhere, but in a small, rural, otherwise quiet community uh, where the church has a really positive footprint in the area, right? It's not a controversial church. It's not as if this is a a pastor who gets up on his on his high horse and is really you know political in any way. He's just a community leader, and the congregation are just community members who are out there trying to to make their area their their patch of the world better. Uh, and then you have this kind of attack, uh, like I said in an otherwise quiet area. So if it'll happen there, uh, obviously it's even more prone to happen in more metropolitan areas where there are more people and bigger churches with bigger name leaders. Yeah, indeed. Well, we'll continue to pray for them um, as they deal with this whole situation. And of course, we'll keep an eye on this trend because we know, as I mentioned, the mainstream media is generally not going to be super interested in this storyline. So I appreciate you bringing that story, Trey. We are going to move over now to the main thing. And we have the president, President Biden now, visiting Northern Ireland, where there's been unrest and political strife taking place. And worries, violence will return to that country again. Well, John Stolnes talked to Katie Hayward, who's a professor of political sociology at Queen's University, Belfast, they talk about all those things and more on today's main thing. So, Katie, I think a lot of Americans knew the president was going over to Ireland, but I don't think any of us have really been tracking what's been happening in Northern Ireland. You know, the Good Friday Belfast Agreement was 25 years ago. And for the most part, I think violence in Northern Ireland, most people assumed it was a thing of the past. But uh, it's this trip by the president going over there is kind of put it on the front pages for everyone. And so I wanted to get a sense from you, what is the situation in Northern Ireland right now? And, and, and how did we get here? Yes, so we were delighted to welcome the president here. And his speech was very uplifting and reassuring, I think, re- refer- reaffirming commitment from the United States towards the peace process here in Northern Ireland. 
And the reason why the visit is well-timed isn't just because of the anniversary of the Good Friday Belfast Agreement, but also because there's a little uncertainty um, about what might be happening uh, in the coming months. And that's really based on the fact that we don't have the functioning assembly and executive, the democratic institutions established by the agreement, um, and they haven't been functioning actually properly since last um, February. Um, now, this is in relation to the fact that either two of the largest parties, the largest unionist party, the DUP, or the largest nationalist party, Sinn Féin, have an effective veto over the operation of those institutions. And at the moment, the DUP is exercising that veto um, in protest at the arrangements that have been put in place for Northern Ireland um, after the exit of the UK, including Northern Ireland from the European Union. So there's a little uncertainty in that regard. And the president was careful not to be um, interfering as he would see it in domestic affairs, but actually saying, you know, these democratic institutions serve a purpose and they're important to peace. There's another dimension too that's important in this visit, and that is the economic aspects of things. And he has appointed a special economic envoy in Joe Kennedy III, um, really to try and boost investment in Northern Ireland and to see those unique post-Brexit trading arrangements for Northern Ireland as a positive thing. So Northern Ireland has access to UK internal market and access to the EU single market. Um, and that brings potential economic benefits and the president was wanting to I think, promote that as well. So um, there's a sense of opportunity uh, to be taken, but also uncertainty given the political scene at the moment is one of some stasis. So to go back for just a second about Brexit, Northern Ireland, from what I've been reading about this, is kind of caught in the middle between what Great Britain is doing outside of the EU and the Republic of Ireland, the neighbor obviously just to their south, that is still in the European Union. How has that put Northern Ireland in a tricky spot? So to to what we see for the position of Northern Ireland is always that it's in between. So the Good Friday Belfast Agreement recognizes that in-betweenness of Northern Ireland. So it's both British and Irish. It's deeply integrated with the rest of the island of Ireland. And it's also deeply integrated with Britain and the United Kingdom. And that's not just in political terms, but also culturally and economically. Now, that was fair enough within the European Union when both the UK and Ireland were in the EU. That integration was kind of natural. And the fact that the UK and Ireland were on the same trajectory in the European Union um, really was a boost to Northern Ireland. It made things fairly straightforward. Taking UK, including Northern Ireland, outside of the EU now, things are much more complicated. And what the UK and the EU managed to do in the divorce from the EU was to give Northern Ireland um, uh, special arrangements under the protocol on Ireland, Northern Ireland. So part of the divorce deal was these special arrangements. How far down the road is Irish reunification? Is this something that's realistic within this generation? Is it something that is further, much further down the line? Yes, so it has been quite clear since 2016, which was when the Brexit referendum happened, we have been asking a question in the Northern Ireland Life and Times, which is the main social attitude survey in Northern Ireland, about the impact of Brexit on the prospects for Irish unification. And we've seen a very clear trend. Um, especially in the last few years. 
a clear majority of people, so two thirds of people think that Brexit makes United Ireland more likely. And that includes unionists as well as nationalists and others, which is really interesting because obviously that's the last thing that unionists want to see. Um, when, when it comes to, does it make you more in favor of Irish unity? Um, for nationalists, yes, absolutely. They wanted Northern Ireland to stay in the EU and they're more in favor of Irish unification now that we're no longer in the EU. Um, for unionists, it makes them less in favour of Irish unification. They're feeling quite insecure. Um, and for those who are neither unionists nor nationalists, which is actually the largest portion of the population here, actually they're increasingly supportive of Irish unification. Now, you can see all of this and say, well, we know from the Good Friday Agreement that if it looks likely that there's a majority in Northern Ireland who would vote for Irish unification, then the British government minister is obliged to call such a referendum. We're not at that point yet, but um, there are signs of growing momentum towards it. So um, it's going to be very complicated. Um, and I think this is why this moment is particularly significant and why it's important for the democratic institutions in Northern Ireland to be functioning because we know any process isn't going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. And it's very important that the democratic means of expressing and resolving political differences are fully functioning in, in any such transition period. Now, you just talked about the democratic means of dealing with these disagreements. The worry, of course, is that Northern Ireland devolves into violence once again. And I know there have been some small skirmishes. There have been some there has been some unrest there since the since the Northern Ireland's government stopped functioning. Can you give us a sense as to what the situation is there from a security standpoint? Mm. So in recent weeks, we have seen the um security forces in Northern Ireland raise a terror level um, to severe. And this is in response to increased activity amongst dissident Republican paramilitaries. So those Irish nationalists who don't recognize the Good Friday Belfast Agreement. Now they're a very small group and minority, but they have become more active, non-surprisingly, perhaps around the anniversary of the Good Friday Belfast Agreement. And they, they also, um, carried out an attempted murder on a police officer um, a few weeks ago, um, which was roundly condemned by all politicians, including by Sinn Féin. Um, we've also seen rising activity amongst loyalist paramilitaries, so those on the other side, um, having more sort of on the street, open public demonstrations of their um, presence, intimidation, you know, petrol bombing of families, etc. Now, this isn't a cross community, um, but it's within their own communities. And so, again, this leads to a sense of unease. These paramilitary organisations never went away. Um, they have continued to be active, albeit uh, on a smaller basis, within their own communities, very much associated with organised crime. Um, one thing that is worrying is that those loyalist paramilitary groups that previously had recognized the Good Friday Agreement in light of all this Brexit disruption and the protocol um, have said that they, some of them have said they no longer recognize the Good Friday Belfast Agreement. So although nobody's anticipating a rapid return to the troubles or an outbreak of political violence anywhere near what we've seen before, we always talk about the peace process as being fragile, partly because we recognize the continued existence of groups that 
think that violence is the best way of achieving their, their ends. Last thing, how important was President Biden's trip to Northern Ireland? And do you think it'll have any impact? I think this is a, I think the president's visit was very important. And the fact that he um, has expressed a commitment um, to Northern Ireland for the future. This is a, they're in it for the long haul. I think that's a really important message um, because 25 years is a long time. And even though Senator George Mitchell, who convened the talks um, 25 years ago, always said that it was just the beginning. Um, I think there's a sense of, gosh, you know, <laughs> do we still have to be thinking about this very tiny place that still seems to be so problematic? So it means a lot um, uh, that the U.S. is saying that the president himself is saying we're committed to peace in Northern Ireland. Well, it's an important part of the world. And, and it's, again, a, a place that I think most Americans have largely put in the back of their minds. And, and so it was good for this to kind of be put on the forefront by the president's trip. And uh, we'll see how things progress over the next uh, few weeks and months. Katie Hayward, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. All right, John, thanks for... That discussion there about all things going on with President Biden in Ireland. Appreciate it. And that leaves us with time here for one last thing. Well, after that uh, that focus story, I think this is a perfect verse because Scripture calls us to be compassionate, but it also calls us to be bold about the truth. And Proverbs 28, 1 says, The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Great verse. Considering how they're responding, I love it. That's how we got to be. And we got to look to the Proverbs. I love that we tackle so many Proverbs on this show. <laughs> yes. Well, you can't go wrong with Proverbs, really. I mean, no, wisdom, literature, always, always stuff you can, you know, take away from that and go on throughout your weekend, which I hope you have a fantastic one at that. Beautiful weather, at least here in the Northeast. So enjoy it. Lord willing, in that creek don't rise. We'll be back here on Monday with more. God bless. We'll see you then.